guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. Welcome back to episode 85 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. We're going back to back. Thursday or Wednesday into Thursday. We're doing two in a row here. Uh, my name is Trevor Powers. And as always, I am joined by my co-host Dan Galati, as well as producer Phoebe. Dan, how are we today? Two nights in a row. I'm going to need like a week off here soon. Don't you think? I know. We got to work on that PTO. Um, we got we to gotta work on that. We got to find our, our replacement, maybe get a guest host in here one of these days and, and go from there. Yeah, we'll talk to management about it. But, you know, yeah. I feel like I get a, you know, a rest day every once in a while. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's hard. It's hard carrying the freight, you know. Not always. It's not always easy carrying the freight. Um, so, but we're super excited about just kind of the next really couple of weeks here. Um, I know for our listeners that probably prefer our MLB content, might be on the back burner for a little bit of stretch here, but we have some pretty fun ideas that we want to do as we lead into Omaha. And obviously as we go through the college world series and specifically, we are going to make our selections on the super regionals that are ahead for this weekend. We're going to dive into, you know, what we saw this past weekend, how that, you know, can be used into information this weekend, our predictions for this weekend and some of the things we're going to keep an eye out. And obviously if you haven't already listened to the episode that released on Thursday of this week, which will be yesterday when this comes out, make sure you go back, listen to Les Johns who covers Wake Forest baseball for 24 seven sports, ton of detail, ton of information about the demon Deacons this year, coach Walters and what they've built there at Wake Forest previewing a little bit of the Wake Forest, Alabama regional super regional and all the content like that. And we're hoping as we go into next week to continue to get people from each school that potentially gets into Omaha on here in an interview so that our listeners can enjoy some more in-depth content on those teams. But you know, just kind of big picture, Dan, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend as we go into Super Regional Weekend in this first weekend of June, second weekend of June? Yeah, you know, a lot of these teams, uh, you know, were favorites in their regional and they make it through. So those are teams that are continuing to kind of try and ride the wave that they've been on all year. And then for some of these teams, some surprises, Oil Roberts hasn't lost in 44 days. So, you know, can they keep their momentum up? Because it's interesting, you know, when you look at March Madness basketball, you're playing every other day pretty much. And then you get the week off through the first two rounds. And it's the same thing here. So what changes through that week off, you know, do guys bats cool down or what? That's going to be interesting. And, and just from an overall perspective, I know we'll dive into this here soon, but when you, when you first look at these matchups, um, Florida, South Carolina really sticks out um, just because it's two really good SEC East programs. 
um, who get to, to play for the second time, you know, conference matchup that we saw already once this year uh, and, and, you know, in Gainesville this weekend, that's going to be kind of, I think, I'm expecting it to be the best one. Duke, Virginia is another one that should be really good. Um, but I'm really excited to see just all the talent on display uh, in Gainesville. No doubt. And that's a series that South Carolina swept the Gators at Founders Park um, at probably at some point in April. It was after we were there, and, and it was kind of the, the talking point of maybe South Carolina should be the number one team in the country. And it wasn't sunshine and rainbows after that series sweep against the Gators, and we'll get into more detail, but that's definitely going to be extremely fun. So I'm going to go through all of the Super Regionals that we have and when they start. So we're going to start on the left side of the bracket with the number one seed Wake Forest Demon Deacons who will take on the number 16 national seed Alabama Crimson Tide that series will be starting on Saturday and then you head they will play they will face off with the winner of the Texas Longhorns is the two seed coming out of the Coral Gables regional and they will take on the Stanford Cardinals and then LSU is taking on their SEC foe, the Kentucky Wildcats. That will also be starting on Saturday. And then in the bracket that caused a lot of tension across college baseball, the Southern Miss is playing host to Tennessee. And Southern Miss did get the host there, um, which infuriated a lot of Tennessee fans. Um, But I think statistically speaking, the the committee made the right decision there. And then as we head over to the other side of the bracket, the Florida Gators will be hosting the South Carolina Gamecocks. The Duke Blue Devils take on their ACC foe in the Virginia Cavaliers. That will start both of those series will start on Friday. Oregon will play host to Oral Roberts. And then lastly, Indiana State will travel to Fort Worth, Texas, even though they should have been the host and were supposed to be the host, but because of the Special Olympics being hosted in Terre Haute. Took me all weekend to figure out how to say that properly. Terre Haute. Um, Round of applause. So they will be traveling down to Fort Worth, Texas to take on the Horned Frogs. Um, So a lot of good baseball. And we're going to start pretty much where – probably our heads are at right now and unless you want to cut in and say something yeah i got i just got a quick question for you where do you stand on stanford being the cardinal not the cardinals i heard you trip over over it a little bit there what, what's your uh, what's your take on that pretty pretentious no a little bit yeah you know high academic school um you know they want to be all proper and you know sometimes it's a little tough but you is know, it the trees though? i right, don't know it's just one cardinal in a tree yeah, I don't know. That's nothing. Nothing. I can't get no I, no deep thoughts I on that. <laughs> yeah, no deep thoughts. I haven't really thought about it until I was going through, and I was like, man, uh, I don't want to botch this mascot up and Stanford Cardinal, not the Cardinals, and it's just one of those things that you know, it's it's the best Cardinal in the tree, I guess. Is that how is that how we're going to go about it? Is that what I guess our take from that is that they're the best the best Cardinal in the tree. At least in their opinion, they are. It's interesting. They don't even use a cardinal logo in any like their logos an S with a tree. Is there a cardinal sitting on the tree? You can't see one. <laughs> I mean, the mascot is a tree with like a little red cardinal hanging off the the outfit. I know that, but like when you look at just the Stanford S, it's just a, a pine tree. There's not even a cardinal to be seen. Can we get before a history we, on bef- that? What's the history on click- this? Before we clicked record, I, I told Phoebe that if this gets off the rails, to reel it back in. And we're seven minutes into this episode, so, and she's trying to reel it back in. If I can see the, the thought, she's like, do I really have to jump in here and get so, them back on track? So just in in March of 1891, Stanford beat Cal in the first big game. I'm not sure what sport. I'm assuming football because that drives most. The The – Big game local newspapers picked up the Cardinal theme and used it in the headlines, but that's about all I got on the history of it. Oh well, maybe if uh, if if Stanford makes it to Wait. Omaha, we will have somebody from Stanford come on the podcast and it's see if the, they can the explain color. it. It's the color Cardinal red. So, the, so they're the car. It's like the Crimson the, Tide. Okay, fair. Okay. Which well. turns into an elephant somewhere down there in Tuscaloosa, but I'm not going to argue with those folk because. Uh, I can't imagine we agree on much as it is. So 
Yes, no doubt about that. So we're going to start in the top left region, super regional here. Um, and obviously ton of content. We did a whole episode on Wake Forest um, and a little bit on Alabama. So obviously the Demon Deacons will be playing host to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, they will be, the SEC will be traveling a little bit north to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Alabama has been on a roller coaster of a season. They're currently sitting at 43 and 19. And there was a point in the season where nobody knew what the outlook would be. Unexpectedly, Brad Bo- Hannon, their head coach, was let go uh, for some mistakes he made off the field. Maybe not even mistakes, depending on how how much those tickets cashed. Um, But Wake Forest has been the number one team in the country for what's running on at least seven weeks from off the top of my head. Uh, They've been pretty dominant. They've won every game in dominant fashion since the NCAA tournament started. They're sitting at 50 and 10, the only 50 win team, I believe as it stands. Yep. Oral Roberts, I don't think got to 50. Nope. Uh, so the only 50 win team here. So as you look at this series, obviously it's the one verse 16. What are some of your thoughts? And and obviously we got a lot of information from Les last night, so I'm sure it's fresh in your mind. Not to force the issue here, but uh, I gave you a dominant segue by bringing up Alabama's mascot and you didn't take it. That's all right. Um, it's, okay. it's like when it, it's like when you hit a guy wide open for a corner three and they like pump and take two dribbles and then don't end up not getting it. Take a mid range. Uh, yeah. Or like then pass it or drive and get a contested yeah. layup. And it's disappointing. Um, that's all right. Cause I'm not here to, to stat pad. Um, yeah. You know, I think wake forest to me has the advantages across the board. And that's kind of what we talked about with Les last night. I think he hit it spot on. You know, when I asked what could be the trouble here, and it's, it's you know, if Wet, Rhett Louder shows he's human for some reason, which Alabama's offense um, certainly has firepower. Tommy Seidel's really good, really good player. Andrew Pickney. I mean, they have bats in that lineup. Uh, Colby Shelton has 22 bombs. So there's definitely danger lurking, but so did Maryland. And you might even say that Maryland had a better offense, at least a little more firepower than Alabama. But um, – you know, in that ballpark, anything can happen. Uh, as we heard from last last night, they call it the Deacon wins um, because that place plays small. So if, if Rhett Louder, you know, shows that he's human and, and gets clipped, you know, early and kind of stuns them and stuns that crowd. And, you know, if, if Wake goes ice cold offensively, that could be another issue potentially. But you kind of look at it pitching. Wake has the matchup offensively. They, it looks like they have the advantage bullpen, the depth. They certainly have it defensively. We talked a lot with Les last night about the improvement of Wake's defense and how good they've been all year there on that side of the ball. So it's hard to kind of find a, a path outside of, you know, the two things that I just mentioned for Alabama. It'll be interesting. You would imagine um, they're going to match Rhett Louder with Luke Holman, who started against Nichols last weekend. He's their one. He's got their best numbers. He had, a, you know, he has a three four six ERA in 75 innings. He struck out just a little bit more than one in inning. So you would imagine that's who it'll be. You don't know. And then and then whether it's McNary and McMillan, McMillan, if they get to three games, it'll be interesting to, to kind of find out. But look, Alabama was pushed last weekend by Nichols and Troy, um, who were who were two really good teams. But none of the teams in that regional look like Wake Forest. So no, no doubt. I have not. Wake Forest advancing. Yeah. Um, I think that the depth of Alabama's pitching staff is one thing that intrigues me a little bit. A lot of guys with not a lot of innings, right, which is a good sign. It means they trust the bullpen arms that they're throwing out there. As a staff, they're pitching to a 3.96, which I know when we look across the way at Wake Forest and what Coach Muscar has built of their staff ERA of a 2.32, which is just unfathomable to, to think about. Um, a 3.96 is good across college baseball. Um, I think we would all agree with that more than a strikeout per inning. So there is a lot of depth there. And when you look at teams that have the most success this time of year, it's the ability to, you know, have a starter, have a hiccup and roll a guy who can come out there and give you solid innings to have a, you know, three, four or five starters that you can trust that can go long innings in, in different games and in different situations. So that is one thing to keep an eye on for this 
Alabama team. I mean, Ben Hess, who doesn't have a ton of innings on the year. He's only pitched 36 and a third, but it's been very high quality. Well, he hasn't pitched in a, in a while, so I can't imagine that he would be rolling out there. But, um, you know, just in terms of what the depth is on this roster, super impressive. But I think this is Wake's for, Wake Forest series to lose. I think they have the advantage on the mound. Um, I think across the board offensively, like you said, they have the advantage, everything of that nature. And, and it's super impressive to see um, what they've done up to this point. And I, I would be very shocked if they um, if they fall. And now that I'm here, I'm looking at it. I don't have the up-to-date stats with uh, with Wake Forest. So the ERA is a little bit higher. So I just botched that up. because I'm like, this is, yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is not what I looked at last night, but because uh, I quickly scrolled down. But um, the point is, is that this team, this Wake Forest team, they're built to win this weekend. They're built to win in Omaha, and and I think barring something unforeseen, I, I think it's going to be their weekend, um, and they're going to come out on top and and head to Omaha. Uh, complete agreement. I mean, like you said, barring something unforeseen, and and just you know, look, it's college baseball. The bounces can go any which way, and and. You know, crazy things can happen. You know, you see Oral Roberts sweep their way through a regional. We've seen Stony Brook go to a College World Series, getting through Baton Rouge to get there, um, which, you know, a pulmonary team in a super in Baton Rouge used to be, you know, that was Goliath. So yeah. it can happen. But, you know, this this Wake Forest team, it just feels like you just continue to see the momentum and how they handle things in the regional. It just feels like their year. Yeah, definitely. And, and, as you mentioned multiple times, baseball can happen and it does happen a lot. And I think that is the only way. Like, I think if we're sitting here on Monday night recording a podcast talking about how, how did Alabama win, I think it would just be baseball, right? Like, they're not more talented. They're not better. They don't match up in any way, I think, comparable comparably to the number one team in the nation. But I do think that if there was a hiccup here for Wake Forest, it would just be basically like, you know, Rhett Lauder doesn't have his best outing or, you know, somebody from Alabama has their career outing, right? They come out, they shove it, they shut down a really good offense and you're sitting there and next thing you know, you're down 1-0 and then anything can happen in a game two and a game three. So it'll be interesting to follow. Definitely be really good baseball. The couch is going to be packed this weekend. Super excited to watch those games, but I think that Wake Forest is the better team. And if the better team holds hold serve. I don't think there's any way that they're not in Omaha. So as we head a, out west um, to Palo Alto, uh, where the Texas Longhorns will be taking on aforementioned Stanford Cardinal, the color, not the bird. Um, and that's a really interesting series that's going to be starting on Saturday. Uh, Stanford is a team that from the beginning, I mean, we've seen this team, they've made it to Omaha multiple times over the last couple of years. They're kind of that sleeping giant out West as other, you know, as other West coast teams kind of still stay true to that West coast baseball brand, you know, the bunt, the play defense, the pitch it, not that Stanford can't do those things, but this offense shows up and they absolutely swing the stick. They're hitting 318 as a team with 113 home runs and a 548 slugging percentage. They have one, two, three, four, five, six guys with over 10 home runs, multiple guys over 15 home runs on the year. So it's deep lineup. It's really good from top to bottom. They don't have a hole in their lineup. I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast multiple times. Drew Bowser is their worst quote unquote hitter offensively um, sitting at 274 with 11 bombs on the year. And he's a guy very highly regarded. So Stanford is definitely the favorite coming into the weekend, but Texas Longhorns, man, they've been to Omaha three out of the last four years. I texted you that. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised about what coach Pierce has built there. Uh, So these are two teams that have been to Omaha a lot recently. Uh, These are programs that fan bases that, the culture there, everybody is expecting them to win. So it's going to be a battle of the heavyweights out in Palo Alto from Saturday to Monday. Yeah, this is a really, you know, as I looked at this a little more, this is a really intriguing super. Like these are two teams who, you know, kind of snuck under the radar in a certain way this year, whereas Stanford, again, we've mentioned this several times throughout the year, like being on the West Coast, they didn't get nearly as much love as they potentially should have for as good as of a team and an offense specifically that they are. 
And Texas really, like the Big 12 was just beating up on each other. But you look at Texas, Texas is a 41-win team um, this year after sweeping the regional in Coral Gables and beating a Miami team twice. And for the other side, Stanford – Stanford went, you know, had to win two against Texas A&M, and they did it after going one and two in the in the pack. Uh, what is it, the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever we're calling it now? I don't even know how many teams that are, they have left. But they go one and two in that tournament. They they come out in the regional. They lose game two, so it's looking like one and one, and, and they're kind of having to push the boulder uphill, hosting, and then they beat a good Texas A&M team, a good SEC program, two times. Um, and, and you mentioned, you highlighted those offensive guys. I mean, that offense can really, really swing the bat. Um, and they got some really big pitching performances in that regional um, to get them to this point. And then Texas, this Texas team who, again, they went 2-Q and Q in the Big 12 regional, or in the Big 12 tournament, I'm sorry. And so you were looking at it going into that regional Miami, and you were, you know, I, I, I predicted them to win. I didn't feel great about it because Miami was so talented. And you're sitting there and you're going, Texas has the ability to do this. They've been to the World Series, like you said, three or four times. Are they going to be able to get through a Miami team? They never really kind of took control of the season or the Big 12 like we thought they might. And then they just go bonkers and they play three really complete games. They beat Miami twice. And now I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow, this is going to be a tough test for Stanford again to get through this. Like if Stanford drops game one, like – don't let Texas continue to keep on rolling here. Like beating Texas A&M twice to get to this point was one thing. I don't think you can do it um, if you're if you're Stanford and and you have Texas do this. However, that being said, I do like this to, to be Stanford's year to get to the World Series. Um, I just I like this offense too much. I really do. Yeah, and and you talk about Stanford's ability to take down Texas A&M and having to beat them twice. If you told me going into last weekend that Stanford was going to be have to come from the loser's bracket against somebody knowing that they had already burned Quinn Matthews' start and whether you know that's a win or not, just knowing that he's not available to come win you one of those must-win games, I would have probably told you I don't think Stanford's making it out of the regional. So that was gut check time for a pitching staff that is pitching to a 5.83 ERA on the year, which is not up to Stanford's standard by any stretch of the imagination. This is a this is a program that used to pride itself on their pitching specifically. But when you can show the ability to come back and win those games, that's what gives you faith in these tournaments because stat lines out the window, right? We talk about that all the time. How many times does a dude, especially when you're talking about a staff that has punched out 615 dudes in 533 innings. So the stuff's there. Like we know that Stanford develops guys with stuff. These guys could be professional baseball players tomorrow. So the stat line goes out the window. If you can get any one of these guys who have been one of your more reliable, you know, like Brant Brant Panzer who has – 39 strikeouts in 42 innings. And then you see Ryan Bruno has 53 strikeouts in 32 innings with 31 walks. Like if, if, if Ryan Bruno fills up the strike zone with, with obviously what's elite stuff and comes out and throws three good innings, you're good to go. And that's what Stanford needs. And, and, and that gut check against Texas A&M was huge. And like you said, the offense is great. Texas is kind of like, this wasn't supposed to be Texas's year. Right, we talk about the t- losing Tanner Witt for the year, and obviously he's come back and he hasn't been nearly the player he was. Ivan Melendez was the Golden Spikes Award winner and had thirty plus pumps last year for a reason. He was a superstar. He's a great baseball player, but getting the production they've gotten from Dylan Campbell, Peyton Powell at the top of that lineup, and then also the the power output from Porter Brown and these guys through the lineup, it's a deeper lineup than I think we give it credit for. Um, but it's not. Not as good as Stanford. So I'm rolling with you. I'm taking the Cardinal to go to Omaha. I've been thinking that since day one. So I'm pretty confident in that pick. As long as that pitching staff continues to pitch well, which was obviously part of the reason they were able to come back against Texas A&M and win that regional, I'm taking them. But don't sleep on the Longhorns. They're playing really good baseball. Like you said, they handled their business in Miami. And I really think that it's going to be probably the the tightest. I think these are arguably two of the tightest 
rosters that we have across the board here. Um, And then you talk about the history of these programs too, and these fan bases that genuinely care about their baseball programs. That's going to make it a lot of fun to watch on, you know, West coast time and, and late at night after we get some really good baseball on the East coast as well. So sorry, I just wanted real quick. I mean, for Texas too, another one of my concerns too, with that lineup is, is really the top didn't perform that well in that regional, you know, it was the bottom of the order guys. Can they, again, this is what I'm talking about. You have a week off now. Does it change? Do those top of the order guys get going and the, and the, you know, the meat into the bottom continue to, to produce. I mean, Peyton Powell went one for 13 in that regional. Yeah. That's not a recipe. I bet you, if you asked David Pierce, he'd say, yeah, no, we're not going to win too many ball games. If, if he's not, if he's not producing for us at the top of the lineup, um, you know, whereas, you know, the top of Stanford's order got it done when they needed it. So, you know, that's another cause for concern for me for Texas as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and I think that when you play, the t- that's what makes Super Regionals so much better. Like you can get bottom of the order guys hot for a regional and ride it. You know, Miami obviously wasn't playing their best ball last weekend. Like whatever happened, I don't know. They're going to be searching for a head coach. A-Rod 2023 um, <laughs> is, is what the people are calling for. Um, he's starting his campaign. But I think that when you look at it, Stanford's lineup is a little bit more trustworthy. If they can get that ace-level start from Quinn Matthews on Friday and go up one nothing. Texas is going to have to score a lot of runs to get back in there and be able to win that series and winning two against a team like Stanford's a lot harder than winning two against anybody else across the board. Um, So they took care of business last weekend. You got to, you got to back it up. Um, And they haven't really done it as much this year as you usually expect from a Longhorn baseball program. But as we head down to probably the most crazed baseball town in the college landscape. We head down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where the Tigers of LSU will be playing host to the Kentucky Wildcats. Obviously, I think it was kind of out of spite to say the least, Uh, but neither Dan nor I decided to pick the Wildcats to win that regional last weekend we thought it was going to be karma that the wildcats had to make their the opposing team stay in the dorm rooms eat amatrack amatark whatever it is who cares amtrak food. aramark uh, aramark <laughs> um aramark food um and at least they bought them mini fridges for the for the dorm rooms but the season series this year, they had a dominant start from Paul Skeens where LSU took game one. Kentucky had a really good game, too, that they won 13-10. to 10. And then a really close one-run ball game at LSU at the box, 7-6, to six, where LSU ended up winning the series against the Kentucky Wildcats. So Kentucky showed that they, they're not afraid to go down to Baton Rouge and compete with this team. Obviously, we know the names on LSU. There's no questions about the Dylan Cruises, the Paul Skeens of the world. The question marks that remain with this LSU team, and they only played three games, but they did show at least a little bit of depth, is what happens on the mound when you get past Paul Skeens. Ty Floyd struggled in his outing. He struggled to throw some strikes. The walks are a major concern. He has 31 on the year and 74 innings. That's not going to cut it. You had Thatcher Hurd, who continues to look a lot better coming out of the bullpen. He has looked a lot better in stretches. There's a good chance that he starts game three. They went with Mr. Reliable to start game three and Riley Cooper. He's a guy who came over from Arizona with Coach Jay Johnson. So a lot of faith, a lot of trust in Riley Cooper to come out, throw strikes, strikes, establish the strike zone, and make sure you start, make sure you start out on a good foot. So it'll be interesting to see if they get into a game three what the decision is, but it all starts with Paul Skeens. If they can go out there and they can win game one and he can be dominant like Paul Skeens has been throughout the course of the year, it's going to set the Tigers up for success. Yeah, this is a tough one to call right now just because, you know, does Kentucky have enough to, you know, again, all year you look at it, LSU is probably the most talented Outside of Wake Forest, LSU is probably the most talented roster up there with Florida, South Carolina. Does Kentucky have enough to do that with all the concerns on the mound for LSU? How much better would you be feeling about LSU if even if Garrett Edwards and Chase Shores were healthy? 
right? Two yeah. arms that that are just so so reliable and so good for them. They don't have them. They haven't had them for the, the better half of the year. So I, you know, I, Paul Skeens, you can't at the box in a super. Paul Skeens is going to win game one. Do they have enough to piece it together? Kentucky's played a tight series there, right? So Kentucky's going to walk into that place. They know what it's going to look like. They know what the batter's eye is. The pitchers know what the mound feels like. They know how intense that crowd is. Kentucky's not going to be intimidated by this situation. Does Kentucky have enough pitching? Like that's where you like. It's so hard to pick this regional for me because it's two teams where it's like I don't know who has the more dependable outside of Game One, where I'm saying Paul Skeens is the better pitcher. Paul Skeens is going to win. Who's more dependable? So this one really is going to come down to who steps up. Does Thatcher Hurd step up and 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 you know continue to look like what we expected and and take the reins of this thing and and come into his own? Does Ty Floyd step up? You know, and then on the Kentucky side of things, who on the mound is going to step up for them? You know, Zach Lee's going to probably go out there against against Paul Skeens, and okay, that that's good. But like, look at the rest of that roster. They they've had to kind of plug starting pitching in here, right? Because for the bulk of the year, Travis Smith was going out there, but he got hit around. He's got a four eight four. Ty Bozmo was going out there. He's got a, a an ERA north of five against an LSU lineup, right? Like that's that's tough to swallow. Like is you got Dylan Cruz and and Tommy Rode to the show white and 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 you know and Kay Beloso who's been on fire and one of my favorite players in the country Trey Morgan another guy I have a lot of respect for and Gavin Dugas so who steps up on the mound is who wins this series um and I hate to kind of be so chalky but I I, I just this is one of those things where it's like pick the home team flip a coin here you know I, I think LSU finds a way to get it done you know reading about Jay Johnson and, and that move that he made with Skeens and, and he knew what he was doing and he's prepared for this. And this is what Jay Johnson does in the postseason. He's waited a long time for an opportunity like this. And, you know, he understood that people like you and me talking heads who get on here and criticize and talk about it, break everything down, but don't You've never been in a dugout. I was going to say who truly, you know, don't know what's going on behind the curtains. He knew we were going to criticize and, and he knew what he was doing. It was a lot of, like, go out there and set the tone for this team, that this is postseason time. Go out there and, and take the ball, big man, and do it. It was also save the bullpen, you know, which we had even mentioned on here. And that's why he had done it. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean LSU here, but I would not be shocked if Kentucky loses on Saturday and then wins two straight. Well, and I'll paint you the picture for you because I'm I'm sitting here thinking about how okay, you're right. The LSU is the favorite for a reason. They're the national powerhouse for a reason. But how does this happen? And I'm gonna paint a picture for you that is realistic, right? Kentucky plays a little bit of an older brand of baseball, only fifty one home runs in their fifty nine games this year, and that park is not exactly huge. Um, but what do they do well? Ninety one stolen bases and hundred and twenty attempts. They like to move some runners, they like to sacrifice bunt, and here's where I'll paint the picture for you. Once you get beyond Paul Skeens and Ty Floyd's out there and those pitchers that have struggled to establish the strikes and they've struggled to get in a rhythm on the mound, you start to move runners, you start to create havoc, and you can see the gears going a little bit too fast on the pitching staff's head, and they start to make mistakes. They start to give free bases. They start to give away outs. All of those things that start to accumulate, next thing you know, the Wildcats are sitting in a very good position. And that's outside of Paul Skeens. If they can scrape together a couple runs against Paul Skeens early and get in a good position and make him sweat, make him work, Anything can happen. I don't think this is as much of a guarantee where we're looking across the board at Wake compared to Bama as, you know, Wake is the better team across the board. No questions asked in every asset in every part of the game. But I think if there is anything Kentucky can do, and I'm sure it's going to be early, they're going to be putting balls on the ground. They're going to be moving runners. They're going to be working hard to put pressure on LSU's defense, and they're going to try not to strike out. They're going to try to make those guys work, and they're going to have to come in the strike zone to face them. But ultimately, I think one thing that as we talked through last weekend about how important it was to get to LSU's pitching staff, pitching staff, pitching staff, pitching staff, what do we forget? This is one of the best lineups in the country. I mean, um, across the board, name talent, 
you have across the board 314 as a team, 126 home runs led by Tommy White and Dylan Cruz, who are Dylan Cruz is sitting currently at 432 with 17 home runs and a whopping 57% on base percentage, which is just unbelievable to think about. And Tommy White, who has struggled at times, is hitting 378 with 20 home runs. And on the call last week, I heard them talking about how his power has gone, quote unquote, down this year, which it has. He broke the freshman record with 27 last year. So as long as this offense does what they need to do and gets their pitchers in a good position, I don't see LSU having a hiccup here. But if I paint the picture of it happening, Kentucky can create some havoc. We turn around and we look and mistakes start happening. The pressure of being the LSU Tigers with that home home crowd starts to get to them. And the Kentucky Wildcats can get through that regional pretty seamlessly. So um, it will be a really fun one. I'm going to go pencil in on the win on LSU. Sounds like you're picking LSU. We're on the same page here. But I think as we continue and head out east to Southern Miss, I think we might get a little bit different here and things might get a little weird. So Southern Miss is going to play host. They're the Golden Eagles. They're going to play host to the Tennessee Volunteers starting on Saturday. This was up for a little bit of debate. Obviously, Tennessee fans wanted to get their home field advantage in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Uh, But one of the things, one of the most underrated atmospheres across baseball is Southern Miss. They had one of the best attendance numbers across the board, across the country. They sold out already 5,000 tickets for each and every game. So you know it's going to be packed to the brim. You know the fact that Tennessee fans were coming at them about their atmosphere is going to fire that home crowd up. So you know there's going to be a lot of flair. And Tennessee brings flair everywhere they go. Right. Tennessee fans are going to show up. They're going to wear orange. They're going to fly that flag. But Tennessee's dugout is going to be chirpy. They're going to be playing with that swagger that we've come to know of as Tennessee volunteer baseball. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I think this this super regional has the most flair. I think it's going to have the most moments. I think it's going to have the most energy. I think there's going to be so much packed into that stadium and everywhere Tennessee goes, I think they bring that energy with them and they bring that villain mentality with them. So as you look at this series, where, where's your head kind of at? Man, this is a strange one because on paper and RPI wise, these two teams match up and that's how Southern Miss got the got the the host, right? Because it was pretty even throughout, at least in the committee's eyes, and and Tennessee did not. But when you look at the roster, right? I mean, Southern what does Southern Miss do? Southern Miss to me is a smaller scale version of what Tennessee is. You know, eighty five home runs on the year, they're gonna slug a little bit. They hit under three hundred, you know, they slugged right around five hundred, um, so they can move it, but you know, then I look at the pitching, and, and to me, that's where the distinct advantage comes in for Tennessee. And it's like, okay, boys, it's postseason time. So I need my guys who are my guys, meaning Chase Dolander, go be a top 10 pick. Go be a top 10 pick and win us a ball game on your back. Chase Burns, look, we've had an up and down year, moved you to the pen, whatever. Go be electric, go be lights out, silence Hadesburg, right? Like, Make those people shut up. The best way to shut up a home crowd is by giving them nothing to cheer about from a pitching standpoint, right? Give them nothing to cheer about offensively. I don't know if Southern Miss has the firepower here. Southern Miss ended up getting a pretty, I I don't mean to be rude, but a pretty easy draw in this regional, right? We didn't know if Auburn deserved a host. That's where Southern Miss goes. They drop game one to Sanford in 10 innings. Then they beat Auburn. And now after they, they knock out Auburn, they're looking at three games they have to win against Sanford and Penn. And no disrespect to the Quakers, but I, you should beat them, Southern Miss. You're a much better baseball program than Penn is. You know, an Ivy League school from the Mid-Atlantic shouldn't be able to compete with a school that has like a 15 or an 85% acceptance rate who can get athletes in there no matter what. It just makes recruiting a little bit easier, not to mention that you have a little bit more talent within reach. So, like, to me – I think this is kind of the end of the road for, for Southern Miss because of that. You know, we their arms got stretched to the max because they're not deep and they had to play five games in those regionals as is. So I just don't see kind of how they can get by a Tennessee team. 
Tennessee got, you know, that big test against Clemson was huge. They responded. They played with that confidence. They played like the Tennessee team we've been waiting to, to see all year. And they handled business against um, against Charlotte. So, for me, I think I think this is a – you're looking at a, a, a Tennessee sweep potentially. Yeah, that's interesting. So, one of the things that impresses me I, – I, I got a lot of thoughts because I'm with you on Southern Miss being challenged. I think that – you're completely accurate on the fact that once Auburn was taken out of that regional, whether they should have hosted or not, it it kind of paves the way for Southern Miss to to walk through, even out of the loser's bracket, to walk through and get through that regional, which they did. Impressive. Uh, they did it in impressive fashion. That Penn team was obviously playing good baseball. But on the Tennessee side of things, I think what's most impressive as it sits right now looking at their roster as a whole, is that Drew Beam is pitching to a 4.09. Chase Dolander is pitching to a 4.50. Chase Burns is pitching to a 4.91. And each and every person who has followed college baseball for the last two years understands what those three are capable of. And as a staff, they're pitching to a 3.60. So those are your outliers on your active roster. Andrew Lindsay has been phenomenal in a starter role, and he was phenomenal again last weekend in game one against Charlotte and went out and dominated. If he goes out, and he's going to pitch on Friday, I would assume, against Sullivan. I I would imagine they're going to keep him on the same rotation. He's been their best arm. The more starts he gets, the better he gets. And we talked about it when it happened. That decision to move him into the rotation was the difference maker in Tennessee's season, and Tony Vitello deserves a lot of credit for having the balls to make that move. Chase Burns deserves a lot of credit for accepting the demotion into the bullpen and just treating it like it's his role and his way to perform and help the team. And obviously, Chase Dolander, we know what we can get. Peripheral-wise, he's been the exact same pitcher last year. He's getting hurt by these balloon baseballs that we have, the low seam balls they're carrying out and he could go out and dominate on any given day. So if you can get the ACE level starts from Dolander, from Lindsay, from Beam, if you even need Beam, if you get Burns to come out of the pen and be electric, 100% I'm with you. Tennessee could win this thing in two. The question is, why hasn't this happened already? We've been talking about the volunteers pitching at this level all year. Why are each of those guys in the in the fours? They're dominant. They're some of the best arms in the country, and they're each and every one of them are going to have their name called at the very least on day two for Drew Beam, day one for the other two in the draft. Where is the silver lining here, and what can we get out of them? Love the lineup, but this has been the cardiac volunteers, and maybe that's good. Maybe they've faced a lot of adversity. Obviously, the home run against Tennessee, we've seen them have multiple home runs this year with down to their last strike where they didn't, where they end up hitting a three run, two run home run to get themselves right back into the game and even go on to win. But they were kind of gifted get out of jail free card because Clemson slept, walked through that Charlotte game and ends up losing. I'm not going to sit here and say they dominated that regional. I'm not even going to give like they won the regional and we're going to leave it at that. They had to beat Clemson once they in a 13 inning game. They did That's yeah, it. they did what they needed to do, but they were one strike away from having to play that early game against Charlotte and we could be talking about the Tigers in this region. For sure. Now luckily, they're paired up with Southern Miss. They're not paired up with Texas. They're not paired up with LSU or Kentucky because it would be a huge question mark, but the Southern Miss team, the best thing that they have going for them is that their coach is retiring. We've always heard the good mojo on that. A lot of people had them coming out of the Super Regionals into Omaha at the beginning of the year. Tanner Hall is one of the best arms in baseball. 119 strikeouts, 108 innings pitch, 2.08. Are we going to see some lingering effects from the side he threw against Penn after throwing 123 pitches and then coming back on two days rest? I don't know, but Pitching staff pitching to a 4.50. Offense doesn't do anything that's kind of crazy good. Slade Wilkes is one of the best players in the country with 20 bombs hitting 291. Uh, but I, I'm with you. The Volunteers should win this one. But with the preface of the fact that they haven't yet. They haven't been the Tennessee team that we've expected them to be. And if they do, 
again, it's the the comment as old as the season. We've been saying it since week one. If you get good Tennessee, they're probably winning and competing at the level of Wake and the LSUs of the world, but we haven't seen it yet. And I don't know if this is going to be the weekend. If it is, good for volunteer fans because they're going to have a fun next two weeks because that, that team's going to be able to pitch it. They're the more talented team. They should win this. They should win this. They should. They should. And if they don't, it will be only just, it will be a bad, it'll be nobody's fault, but their own. Um, They are not, they're going to beat themselves if they don't come out of this regional. But as we go through these super regionals, obviously a lot of good baseball heading out to Winston-Salem, Palo Alto, Baton Rouge, and Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You know, the best way to get to these super regionals, Dan? Go ahead. Our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is your essential resource for all Alive events. We have Taylor Swift concerts. We got all these different music festivals going on. We got Super Regional Baseball, Omaha, MLB Baseball, NBA Finals, NHL Finals. If you want to get out and be at any of these live events, you need to head over to SeatGeek.com and use promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL again backside ground ball to receive $20 off your first purchase. Head over to SeatGeek.com and use promo code backside ground ball for $20 off your first purchase. So Dan, as we head a little bit further south into the Southeastern Conference, um, we look at probably what is the most fun series. The season series was swept by the South Carolina Gamecocks, but they have to head down to Gainesville. Florida faced a little bit of adversity, having a comeback win two against Texas Tech in the last couple of days of that, that regional, and they're coming in with a lot of momentum. I'll start it off here with the fact that when I look at this Florida roster, specifically their pitching staff, the question marks have been, it's similar to what we just talked about with the Tennessee Volunteers. A lot of talent. Hurston Waldrop's going to hear his name called in the top 15. Jack Caglianone's obviously up to 96 from the left side. Brandon Sprode's been pitching on Fridays for them for a couple of years now. What is is the correlation between their success and their numbers. It's not adding up. These guys are way too talented to be pitching at the level that they're pitching. But guess what? They got challenged for six games this past weekend against Texas Tech and UConn. They pushed them to the brink, and they came out on top, and they had a lot of really good starts as we concluded that series. So the pitching showed up in a better light than you'd think, and the lineup started to get hot as we got further and further along through that regional. So when you look at this series, obviously Florida's name value talent, if the pitching production is going to be what it was last weekend in Gainesville, the Gamecocks are going to have a tough test for them. Yeah, I mean, you're – you're right. I mean, this is going to be kind of a, a slugfest is what it looks like, especially just offensively with the, the two lineups and Braylon Wimmer showing back up last weekend is exactly what the doctor ordered in Columbia. But again, just like with Tennessee, it's not like we're talking about an underperforming Florida staff. And on the other side, you have a Wake Forest pitching staff, right? We'll cross that bridge when we get there. If they meet in Omaha, what we're talking about right now is a Florida pitching staff that has more talent than the South Carolina side, but similar production. So it's not like there's a disadvantage necessarily. Again, just like I said about, you know, Tennessee, Florida, show up. Like, Brandon Sprout, show up. Be that guy. Okay, whatever. You were pitching to a 4-7. You didn't have the regular season you wanted to have. Same with, with Hurst and Waldrop. Your numbers are what they are. It doesn't matter. And you said that earlier. It doesn't matter. Throw the numbers out. You know, that Florida, I think offensively, and then just a little bit more pitching depth. And I expect one of those two guys to really step up and have a dominant outing. And then anytime you get through the heart of that Florida, I mean, you saw it on Monday against Texas Tech. It's like, you know, Texas Tech was hanging around, hanging around. And then anytime Florida got to the middle of the order, they were just being squeezed to death by the pressure to get through that. And so um, this one, I think, definitely goes three because South Carolina has the firepower. I would expect them to start maybe game two, lose game one, game two, come out and punch Florida in the mouth and, and grab a, a stranglehold of game two and push it to three. But I like Florida to move on here. Yeah, I think that where I get a lot more confidence in, in the Gators themselves is 
the pitching that showed up last weekend, right? And it wasn't exactly the top end guys, but game one, you had Caglianone, who's been their best starter over the last couple weeks, go out and threw nine shutout, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he definitely went deep into that game against Florida A&M and set them up to have success. Hurston Waldrip was around the strike zone all day with his stuff, which was huge against Texas Tech in a game that they ended up losing. And then obviously you roll Sprout out there, or actually vice versa. Sprout pitched against Texas right. Tech, and then Waldrip was all around the strike zone in the game that they won against UConn. If you're going to get that level of production out of those three arms in this weekend where it becomes even more condensed, you don't even have to worry about those guys outside of them that showed up this weekend, right? The guys that went out and really put them in a position to win against Texas Tech because when you look at it, the offense is what didn't show up last weekend in Gainesville. Right, The offense kind of took a little bit to get going, but when you look at the talent that they have on this offense, obviously Wyatt Langford, Josh Rivera's had a breakout year. Caglianone has 31 bombs. BT BT Ryopel had two home runs in that regional final. He's only hitting 252, but ton of power. They got 126 home runs on the year. The wind blows out all day at that park. I think it'd be very hard-pressed to imagine that this offense is going to have two straight bad weekends against, especially when you factor in what South Carolina has on the pitching side of things. I think they had a very light-ish draw in the Camels, as much as I love them, and NC State. I don't think it was the most challenging draw for the Gamecocks of South Carolina, um, but they handled their business. They scored a lot of runs, and that's the Gamecocks that we knew from the earlier part of the year when you were led by Ethan Petrie, who's a true freshman hitting 374 with 23 home runs, and then the other guys that continue to get more and more healthy. That's obviously an offense that you know is going to score, but who are we getting on the mound? How are they going to perform? What Will Sanders are we getting? Is he coming out of the pen and dominating like he's more than capable of, and what's it going to look at? You're looking at a pitching staff that has good numbers across the board, but it's just determined by who's going to start, what version of those guys are we going to get, and that's going to be the biggest question mark. But I think in terms of talent-wise, the Gators are the better team, no questions about it, but I think South Carolina is going to push them to the brink. I do agree this is going to go three, uh, but it should be a, an extremely fun baseball weekend down in, uh, down in Gainesville. So as we head back up to the ACC country, uh, we're looking at the Duke Blue Devils, who will be taking on the Virginia Cavaliers. Obviously, Duke had a stretch this year where they were one of the best teams across the country. Virginia's kind of going first to finish in a similar ilk. They had some hiccups here and there. Uh, Season series actually went to Duke. Um, If I remember correctly, it might have been Chicken Finger Day at the Cavalier Ballpark. That was, Um, yeah, yeah. That's when we talked about how do you lose on Chicken Finger Day. Yeah, Yeah. how do you lose on Chicken Finger Day? So the Duke Blue Devils did head up to Virginia earlier in the year, April 28th through the the 30th, and won the series in, quite frankly, convincing fashion with a 17-5 victory on Friday night and then a 7-3 victory on Sunday. But I think all things considered, this is a different Virginia Cavaliers team than it was at that point. Virginia was not playing their best baseball at that time, and the Duke Blue Devils were playing their best baseball. So it was kind of a match made in heaven for the Duke Blue Devils to win that series. Virginia is coming off a weekend where they won in convincing fashion, taking down the East Carolina Pirates twice and running through that regional. They ran rough shot on them. It's going to be a very interesting series. We know Virginia can swing the bat, uh, but if Duke continues to play really good baseball, you know they faced a little bit of adversity last weekend. Should be really good baseball across the board. Yeah, outside of, of, of Wake Forest, like to me, Virginia looked so comfortable in that regional. Like they just looked like no big deal, no problem. This isn't an issue. And, and Army, look, was overmatched, and so you do that. But East Carolina is a really good team. They win a tight one with them, and then they come back in, in game three on Sunday, and just they were in control that whole game. Connolly early, man, is he an arm to watch. And and he's so good um, from the left side, and he just dominates – you know, glove side fastballs and guys just continuously get locked up and look like they have no idea what just went by him. 
So it, it's really tough to pick against them just because – and Kyle Teal, man. Kyle Teal, who's the leader of that team and the leader of that offense, and he had an absolutely tremendous regional, especially in that final. I mean, he really caused fits and got them going, um, caused ECU fits and got Virginia going. Um, but then you look at Duke, and, and man, Duke was so hot during the year. They went a little bit disappointing going to and out. We were talking about the potential of Duke maybe hosting. Not sure where they would have been able to do it, but – you know, we thought that they were kind of lining themselves up for that. They had that really impressive run towards the end of the year. They were kind of, you know, cruising through ACC play. They had some really tough midweek matchups that they continued to win. And then they go to they go to regionals, and they did exactly what you kind of expected. They did drop one to Coastal, but that place in Conway, Coastal's offense in, in, in that band box, like that was a tough matchup. And they looked the part. They looked every bit the part. And and the story of MJ Metz, which just blows my mind. I don't want to get too long-winded here, but MJ Metz is playing on one ACL, and he has four bombs in the regional. Like, if that's not one of the best stories of this entire tournament, I don't know what is. Also, I thought that, like, torn ACLs were a huge deal. I guess, I guess, I guess football players just aren't as tough as I thought they were. I haven't seen a, a football player go out there on, on one ACL and, and perform the way he has. Um, so this is a this is a really tough one, but to be honest with you, I kind of like Duke in this, and I, I don't really know why. I think these are two really evenly matched teams. Um, on the mound, what are you going to get from from Duke? Um, I was really impressed with Alex Gow. He threw he threw uh, that last game against against Coastal. They they have a bunch of arms. Um, you know, Andrew Healy started a bunch of games. He's been fantastic for me. He's ten starts on the year. Ryan Higgins has good numbers. He's started nine. You know, they have a handful of arms who have given you giving you uh, quality starts throughout the year. Gal's really the only one who's who's gone out there consistently as 16 starts. So, you know, I this is probably crazy because I, I think Virginia probably should be in the stranglehold, but something here is telling me to go with the Blue Devils, and it might be the proximity with in which I live to the campus. I think when you said they looked the part, that's probably the best way to describe what they did last weekend because they – Really, when you tuned into those games and you watched what they were able to do in a, I thought what was a competitive regional, I don't think that the one seed was the best team. I picked Duke to come out of that regional. Um, but I think the ability to hit the long ball, Duke's now sitting at 107 home runs in 60 games. And this is not an offense that we talk about as one of the big power players across the country. So they are challenging fences across the board, which is huge this time of year because they're going to have to go toe-to-toe with what is arguably one of the best lineups in baseball. I mean, they have five guys that are hitting above 330, and that guy who's hitting 330 also has to, happens to be Virginia's leading home run record holder on a career in Jake Gellov. So that offense is going to show up. They're going to score runs. Duke is deep on the mound, but they're not great on the mound. And that's where I have to turn my allegiance to the Cavaliers. They're playing really, really good baseball right now. They started to get straightened out. They dominated what I felt like was a competitive East Carolina team. I thought East Carolina would give them a couple more hiccups. I think that 3-4 draw was just that was nothing. That was not very tough for a Virginia Cavaliers team <laughs> no. or really the East Carolina team either. Um, but I think ultimately I do think that this lineup is just way too good. Kyle Teal's hitting 423 with 13 home runs. Jake Geloff's hitting 330 with 22, as I already mentioned. They have other guys that are hitting 359, 372. As a team, they're hitting 334 with only 76 home runs, which you'd like to see a couple more. I think it's probably surprised a lot of people that Duke has the advantage in the home run side of things. Um, but I trust Virginia's pitching staff a little bit more than I trust Duke's, and I think that the Cavaliers come out on top. So for, for the first time in six regional or super regionals, we we're have going disagreed. against each other. Yeah. So, and I don't hate uh, that. that. I mean, your point – I'm sorry. I know we're getting too long here, but your point about Virginia just on the mound too, like I feel like I wouldn't be – you know, Brian Edgington, another really good arm, Connolly Early, Nick Parker, Jack O'Connor. These guys are really good on the mound, and, and, and you know, so for me – Looking at it, it's tough. To, again, I don't know why I went with Duke, but um, it is interesting. First time. I thought we'd be split on a lot more of these. but 
So did I. I think it's going to get a little weird here because um, I know where you're going on this one. Um, <laughs> but we're going to head out west here uh, where I know Dan's going to continue to ride with the number 10 baseball. <laughs> we need somebody from Oral Roberts. If you come across this, kind of let us know why you are the number 10 baseball. Um, that news to me, maybe Dan will throw it into Twitter um, like he, or throw it into Google like he did there with the Cardinal stat or the Cardinal and why, the history of the Cardinal. But Oregon won in convincing fashion against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Obviously, Vanderbilt was coming off an SEC championship uh, and playing really good baseball. But Oregon kind of went there and they took care of business. I think this Oregon team, they surprised me personally. I'm sure they surprised a lot of people. We talk about sleepy Pac-12 baseball and and that's kind of what it can be because it creeps up on you on a Friday night. And the last thing you want to do is sit down at 10 o'clock when you already had a long Friday of work and everything that you did and, and sit down and watch a Pac-12 game. But this Oregon team, they're hitting 299 as a team, 93 home runs. Uh, they have multiple guys, four guys in their lineup with over 10, three guys with 14, 16, and 16, so they can challenge a fence. There's no doubt about that. They're going to get the opportunity to host. But the story of the tournament, and is this going to be the four seed that creeps up and, and actually makes it to Omaha, is Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts won in convincing fashion against Oklahoma State and uh, Dallas Baptist in Washington. And that's a very evenly matched regional. That was not a cakewalk regional. That was not a bad one seed. I think Oklahoma State just got a crap draw, um, which you can't complain about as a 14 seed. But this is a team that, as Dan has mentioned before, has not lost in 44 days. 44 days. That's a long time in baseball. Their last loss came to the North Carolina, North Dakota State Bison. Who knew that they had a yeah, the fight in Carson Wentz had a had a <laughs> baseball team up there. Um, but this is a really good ball club that's really going to put a lot of pressure on this Oregon team. So, Dan, where's your head at as you kind of break down this series? Yeah, I don't. Not much more analysis for me other than that. I'm riding with the boys. They haven't lost in 44 days. Jonah Cox and Matt Hogan are legit at the dish. They're worth they're worth turning them on late night um, out in Eugene, and and I just think they're rolling now. Don't get me wrong, Oregon's really good. And that, that, you know, getting through Vanderbilt was not easy. Xavier did them a favor by knocking them out in that elimination game. And we've talked several times and mentioned how Vanderbilt's struggles with runners and scoring position were kind of the death sentence there. But so Oregon's really good. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm riding with Will Roberts. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick the opposite here. I'm going with the favorite and the host. Uh, I like Oregon's lineup on the whole. 93 home runs is impressive. But statistically speaking, Oral Roberts has the pitching advantage. And we know how important setting the tone is on the mound, especially as an underdog. If you can throw arms out there that can be competitive and keep you in every game. I mean, what Kay Denton's done out of the bullpen is unbelievable. 1.65 ERA, nine walks in 54 innings, 75 punch outs. But their starters have been great as well. They're deep on the mound. As a staff, they're pitching to a 3.83. And then you look over at Oregon. If they this offense doesn't hit, and that Oral Roberts pitching staff can keep them in every game. Oral Roberts doesn't have any slouches with the bat. Oregon's pitching staff is pitching to a 5.12. That's when it starts to creep up. But the difference between the P5 and that the lower five or that lower group of baseball, it can be large at times. Oral Roberts hasn't played the toughest schedule yep. throughout the year. Um, so you always have to factor those into play when it comes into statistics. But this Oral Roberts team, man, is good. They remind me a lot of those four seeds that we've seen go all the way to Omaha. I would not be shocked at all if they handled their business pretty seamlessly against this Ducks team. But I'm going to go with the favorite, especially because I knew you were going to go with Oral Roberts. Um, as much as I want to go with the underdog there, we got to get some disagreements on this podcast. So as we head out to Texas for the last weekend's super regional that we have where Indiana state is going to be traveling South, unfortunately to face the horned frogs of TCU. Um, TCU is going to be fired up. Those fans are going to be fired up. They were not expecting to be hosting a super regional by any stretch of the imagination. So it's going to be a really fun super that we have ahead. Indiana state. What can I say? I mean, I said it when we came out of there, there are definitely question marks about this group. They don't really hit great. They don't really pitch great. 
They have a couple guys that are really good. They have a couple. Um, Mike Sears has 19 bombs with a 266 average. Uh, Adam Pottinger's hitting 306 with 11, but they only have one guy on their team that's hitting over 306. They're not exactly dominant on the mound either. Good pitching staff on the whole, but no guy that goes out there and really instills that type of fear. Lane Miller, who's their top arm with a 2.77, only has 38 strikeouts in 61 innings. Their next best, Connor Fenlong, has 70 strikeouts in 108. So we've talked time and time again about the importance of missing bats, especially when you're going to a warm weather park. You're going to an offense that went to Arkansas and was just hitting oppo tanks like no tomorrow. Trey Richardson had two grand slams in that game. Braden Taylor's been one of the best players across the country. I personally think the TCU Horn Frogs run away with this one. I don't think it's going to be close. I might end up eating crow on this one like I did in our regional um, because I didn't think that Indiana State was going to sniff a shot against teams like Iowa and North Carolina. And I hate to use the ex- excuse of Iowa continuing to blow leads late in game. Even Wright State blew a lead late in game. But the fun story of Indiana State being a host, their RPI being high, just wasn't super impressed even though they did win the those ball games, which they deserve credit for, but I don't see Indiana State making it out of this regional, especially the way TCU is playing, especially the way TCU is hitting as a team. I mean, this offense is just on, hitting on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to add to that. I don't. Indiana State's got something going on, and sometimes that's all that matters, right? Because you yes. look at it and you just continue to see how does this team keep winning games. We've gone through. 16 teams tonight and we've just said gaudy number after gaudy number after gaudy number from some of these rosters and the talent that they have and then you look at indiana state and it's like nothing jumps off the page to you nothing jumps off the screen and when you watch them again i didn't get to see too much of them last week nothing jumps off the screen to you and then you turn on tcu and that offense last weekend in fayetteville who arkansas i thought one of the best teams in the country a legit shot to win a national championship this year and then, like, I just love that TCU line. I mean, you said it. Trey Richardson, two grannies, and then he, he hits a two-run homer later in the game. Unbelievable. And, and to me, I love Elijah Nunez at the top of that order. He plays a great center field. He's very Tommy Hawk-like with the stature. He's a smaller guy, but also what he brings to the team and the fact that he, he's a terrific defensive center fielder. He's the party starter at the top of the lineup. And he sets a table for, for guys like Braden Taylor, who is one of the most beautiful swings in the country, in my opinion, like him and him and Chase Davis. And, and then Carson Bowen, unbelievable. And they have the arms. Like you yeah. look at the, the, the guys on the mound, the guys that are running out there. I mean, again, sometimes not the gaudiest of numbers, but guys who just kind of get it done and, and are battle tested through and through, especially in a Big 12 where they're beating each other up all year. Those guys on the mound aren't really scared of anyone. Um, and then the fact that they're getting it in Fort Worth, I'm going TCU as well. Yeah, I think the the crowd, the home and home field advantage yeah. is going to be huge for TCU. We've seen super regionals there, um, and they've always been absolutely raucous. So, Dan, any closing thoughts on on the super regionals this weekend before we get out of here? No, I look forward to it. Oh, definitely. It's it's the best time of year. Um, you know, Friday and Saturday are going to be just full of re- well, tomorrow and Saturday are going to be full of relaxation and and baseball Saturday is going to be Yes, the people's today. Um Saturday is just going to be stocked with baseball. No questions. Everybody's going to be playing. It's going to be awesome. But thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude this episode of the pod. Make sure you're subscribing on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Backside GB, Instagram at Backside Ground Balls, and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. Helps us grow the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Uh, leave a comment. We appreciate those as well. Anything to help grow the podcast. But other than that, until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast and enjoy the Super Regionals this weekend. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. 
How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today.